Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 360 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are recording this show about 15 minutes after the conclusion of Duke's game at the against the Citadel, 107-81, the final score there. Uh, I am here, Donald Wine. I am your host for this episode. We have Jason Evans here. Sam is unable to make it on since we're at a late hour on Monday, November 22nd. Again, we're recording about 15 minutes after the conclusion of the basketball game. So, Jason, uh, hello, good evening. How, how did you enjoy that game? Well, I mean, for the first time all season, the Blue Devils managed to crack the triple-digit barrier, so it was a lot of fun. On the other hand, is there anything more frustrating than watching the opposing team rain threes upon you all game long? <laughs> yeah, yeah. we'll definitely get in. They, they were hot. They could not miss. They were on fire. Yeah, we will definitely get into that. Uh, before we get into our normal recap, this is just going to be a quick recap of this game against the Citadel. Before we get into it, we do want to make note of the fact that if you have, if you're watching this or listening to this later, or you have not watched the game, uh, the Citadel, we had a scary moment in the first minute or so of the ball game. Uh, the Citadel head coach, Duger Bochum, uh, appeared to faint on the bench uh, and then was helped off the court after being tended to by medical personnel. We have not seen any updates to his condition that has been put out there, but he walked off under his own power. Again, again he was helped. Um, he, he didn't appear to lose consciousness or anything like that. But of course, we all wish Coach Bauckham the very best. He is apparently, uh, by all accounts, one of the great guys in college basketball. Uh, so we hope that he's doing okay, that it's nothing serious, and that he is back coaching on the sidelines really soon. And not that there is ever a good time to have a health scare like this. But he, he was at Duke, one of the premier medical centers in the entire country. And supposedly he got taken very quickly over to the Duke Medical Center. And I'm sure that some of the best doctors in the world are taking care of him right now. So like Donald's, yeah, I wish him all the best. Um, I don't know. I doubt he got to see very much of what happened with his team, but I thought his team acquitted itself very, very nicely. Yeah, yeah. They had a very inspired performance uh, in his absence. Uh, but again, we wish him the very best and, and hope he's doing okay. We, we translate that into going into the game, which, you know, appeared to be a blowout of sorts. Uh, Duke wins by uh, 107 to 81, as I mentioned. First 100-point output of the season, as Jason mentioned. So we want to get to our quick headline. Uh, Jason, what is your headline from this game? I've got Citadel bombs away, but Paolo and Moore were too much. That's a good one. Uh, I didn't really come up with anything clever, so I'm just going to say a century. We finally hit it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, because again, that's that game that, you know, we're, we're looking shaky. We, it's funny. We talked about in the last episode, whether or not we would, you know, what games were prime for a uh, hundred point outputs and we didn't have to wait long for it. So uh, shout out to the Duke players who clearly listened to this podcast and wanted to give a nice hundred put output for us. So uh, I want to move to the good and, and Jason, there was quite a lot of good. And I think uh, for me, I want to start, uh, you said, Paula Bancaro, I will mention Paula Bancaro, 28 points eight rebounds, six assists, one block, two steals. The man was everywhere. Uh, hit all of his free throws, shot 53% from the floor. Uh, he had some frustrating moments during the game where, you know, he kind of had a, a couple of things where he just, you could see that he was frustrated and he wasn't feeling like he was playing very well, but he snapped out of it and was able to be Paulo that we've seen so far this year and really uh, just kind of, you know, put those game, put those frustrating moments behind him and focus on the next play. And he was able to get a lot of great plays in this basketball game. Yeah. And I'll tell you something interesting I've noticed about him. You can tell he is getting 
increasingly confident in his three-point shot, in his ability to go outside. Um, he, he uh, in this game, he attempted five three-pointers, which is the most he's had in any game all, all season long. Um, and, you know, as he, as he develops that outside part of his game, it's going to make the inside part of the game even more lethal. I think that when he, like you said, when he got frustrated, especially it was in the first half, I noticed, um, uh, with, you know, with two pointers that he expected to go down, not going down, he starts to really understand that he needs to get closer and closer to the basket and take advantage of his size and his bulk. Um, and, and, and he absolutely did that in this game. And then the other thing I thought was, you know, we, we've heard all this talk that, that Paulo is a, a guard in a power forwards body. He really showed that tonight. There were a couple times, first of all, like you said, six assists, um, which I, I, I haven't looked and seen. I'm, I'm 90% certain it's gotta be his career high. Um, but even more than that, I saw some really fancy ball handling. There was a moment late in the contest where he pulled down a rebound. This was in the final like three or four minutes. Pulled down a rebound. As he started to dribble, one of the guards for Citadel was right there on top of him, and he went behind his back on the dribble to get around that guard. He took two or three dribbles and got just past midcourt, and he recognized that Mark Williams was wide open underneath the basket. He drove to the defense, so they came even closer to him, and then fed Mark for an easy slam dunk. It was the kind of play you just don't see a 6'10", 250-pound guy make. There, you know, you hate to say Kevin Durant, you know, players like that, but there, there's just there's a very finite list of guys who are capable of doing that kind of thing at that size, and Paulo is one of them. Yeah, and, and I want to segue by saying this. There was, like I said, there was those couple moments in the first half where he looked like he was frustrated and he was trying to get down on himself. There was one man that went over and talked to him on a couple of those occasions and just got him to settle down and quickly get his head uh, back onto the next play, the next possession. And that's Wendell Moore. And I segue that because Wendell Moore, I, I want to shout out my man, Mark Hecker, who uh, asked me just after this game ended before we were able to get on Jason, can Wendell Moore average 10, five, five for this entire season? I know we had in the stats game for number oh, of yeah. games he could do it. But it's looking more and more likely that this is going to be, again, he's going to be putting up Shady Battier numbers for the entirety of the season. Uh, this was no exception. I, I gave it to you to, to take about Wendell Moore, but, uh, I mean, he was one assist and two rebounds shy of a triple-double. That's yeah. pretty damn good. So the guy already has one of the five triple-doubles in Duke history. I want to repeat that, even though folks I think already know it. In the history of Duke basketball, not Coach K, you know, not the one and done era or anything like that. Since Duke basketball started playing the sport, there have been five guys who got a triple double. He's one of them. And, and he almost had another one tonight. I won't be even remotely surprised if this guy ends this season with two or three triple doubles on the year, maybe even more than that. This game, like you said, 22 points, nine assists, eight rebounds, a steal and a partridge in a pear tree. It was, it was just a, a ridiculous performance by him. And we're getting to be used to this kind of performance from him. That's the crazy thing that he's doing all this. And we're like, yeah, that's what Wendell Moore does virtually every game. Uh, it, it really is tremendously, tremendously impressive. And, and, oh yeah, by the way, playing great defense every moment as well. How can you not be doing the Shane Battier comparisons? It, it, it's almost I impossible. I say it every time. Not. You, can't, you got to. 
I mean, look, I call them Shane Battier numbers for a reason because he was the quintessential example of all of those numbers, the 10 five fives and just filling being the, the ever present stat stuffer. And Wendell Moore is just doing that in bunches this year so far. I mean, and literally every stat he, he like even, even fouls, he's almost like, he's like, yo, I have to foul someone just to make sure that there's a one in that column too. If you look across a stat sheet for all these games, there are numbers that are not zero in almost every single category, which is incredible. And folks should remember, by the way, you know, Wendell Moore, we feel like he's exploding this year as a junior. Um, he, he played, he played a good bit, a lot and had significant moments as a freshman and a sophomore, but wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't nearly the kind of offensive force in terms of scoring, in terms of assists and in terms of rebounds that he's turned into this year. That, that's the Shane Battier profile. Shane Battier, folks may not recall because we remember so much how great he was as a junior and a senior. Freshman and a sophomore, Shane, was, he was a starter and he played a lot and he was a very, very, very good defender, best defender in the country. But he was not a big scorer. He was not a guy who was putting up big statistical numbers until his junior year. He wasn't a guy who took outside shots until his junior year. Wendell Moore is following the same kind of pattern, which is another reason why you feel like, and it's, by the way, it's unfair to Wendell. I mean, <laughs> we shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Shane Battier's, you know, arguably, I don't know, one of the three, certainly, I guess, the three, maybe five best Duke players of all time. Some would say the best Duke player of all time. We can get into an argument. I would about go. It. I, I I wouldn't even leave. I wouldn't even put Duke in that equation. When you said top three or four, I think he's one of the top three or four college players that ever played the game because he's one of the best. He was he held the wins record for almost twenty years, right. and on top of all the other stuff that he's done, like you know, everyone everyone know I, I you know everyone knows I'm biased. That's my that's my man's, but <laughs> it also happens to be true. So, <laughs> so like I say, you know, I think it's it's almost a little bit unfair. Uh, for us to be comparing Wendell in this way, but but there really there aren't there 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 just aren't any other comps in Duke history that you can look back on and say, oh, this is another guy who played in this same kind of way. This is another guy, you know, with forward kind of height who plays more like a point guard. This is another guy who's a lockdown defender, but also a threat to score a lot and have a ton of assists. You know, there just aren't that many comps. If if he's Shane Battier light. I'm fine with that. <laughs> that again, that is a very good comparison. If if he's fifty percent or thirty percent of the uh, of the player that Shane Batty is, that's still a really really good player. Uh, but I, I want to shift real quick. Uh, one of the goods that I want to talk about is more of a team good, and that is from the free throw line. I said in the last game after the last game that free throw shooting needs to be a point of emphasis, and they needed to focus on that. Well, they did that. They went 27 of 29 from the free throw line, which means they were you called getting it, to the line. You absolutely yeah, called it last get, game. Last game. It means they were getting to the line and they were making their free throws. And if you're going to get free shots from the free throw line and you make them, you're going to win ball games, especially at that clip, 93%. That's what you want to see from a Duke basketball team getting to the line. And even, I mean, even 29 shots is a lot of free throws. And, and I understand that, but to make them all is another animal. And to do that, at the clip that they were doing is incredible. So uh, I want to shout out the team for, again, listening to the podcast and taking our points of emphasis and applying them to this game at Citadel uh, and making sure they made their free throws. Jason, I know you wanted to talk about uh, our another big man who had a very big presence tonight, and that is big Mark Williams. Yeah, so Mark Williams, to me, had one of the more interesting stories of the game because uh, the first half, 
was close. And we're going to get in when we get into the bad. We're going to talk about the Citadel <laughs> just raining three pointers on us and and it being a very, very competitive game throughout much of the first half um, and even up to halftime. Ten points at halftime is not an insurmountable kind of lead. And in the first half, the Citadel played Mark Williams off the floor. It, it was another one of these situations where I think Coach K thought, I've got to go small to match this other team that is playing small. And Mark Williams and, and to a lesser extent, Theo John did not get their normal kind of minutes in the first half. Duke for a while, especially late in the first half, was, was going, you know, four around one. And the one in the middle was, was Paulo. And that Duke was surrounding him with, uh, with four perimeter players. And, and I thought, oh, no, uh, you know, I, here, here we are. We've seen this story before. We saw this against Campbell, that Mark Williams, you know, is a non-factor. For him to come back and have the second half that he had, for him to end the game with 14 points, two block shots, he probably changed another five or six shots, seven rebounds um, and three assists, I thought was, and six of seven on his field goals, by the way, you know, like he, he hit everything he took. Um, I thought it's just a, a great effort from him. And, and it plays into one of the key aspects of the game to me with, with Citadel just raining threes. Duke had to find another way to beat them. And the way we beat them was on the boards. Duke out-rebounds the Citadel 46 to 29. Like I said, Mark had seven. Paulo had eight. Wendell had eight. Um, Joey Baker and Theo John had four each. I mean, we crushed them 46 to 29 on the boards. And, and a really significant part of that was the offensive rebounding. Duke ends this game with 18 offensive rebounds. We rebounded 46% of our mixed, missed shots. When Duke had a missed shot, we rebounded it 46% of the time. It's just, it's a huge, huge number and huge props to the team because rebounding is all about effort. And then the last thing I wanted to get to really, really quick, we had a ton of assists in this game. Duke has 25 assists on, uh, what is it? Uh, 30 something made baskets. I should look 36 made baskets, 25 assists and 36 made baskets, which comes to, we assisted on almost 70% of our baskets. The team was moving the ball better than they have lately. At the beginning of the season, this Duke team was a team that went one-on-one. -on -one. That's how we beat Kentucky. And we are now a team that is finding our teammates and finding the best shot with the pass. And, you know, look, we got a big game coming up at the end of this week, and we're going to have to do more than play one-on-one -on -one to do it. And hand-in-hand and -hand with that great passing and those great assists, Donald, did you see Duke had only three turnovers in this game? That's a, that's a ridiculous number. 25 Again. assists and three turnovers. That's that's just we talked. Numbers. They literally listened to our last show because we talked about every single thing that we have all the good that we've done in this game. We talked about in the last episode of points of emphasis for this game. So I'm glad you mentioned the assists. I'm glad you mentioned the turnovers because it wasn't just that, you know, they were finding open men and they were hitting open baskets. There was a lot of great team basketball with a lot of passes, five, six, seven passes on a possession you know, going inside the paint, finding one more open man on the floor who would pass it to it, kick it out to another guy, you know, and then another guy's in the corner. And all of a sudden you're like, presto changeo, this dude's just been in the corner the whole time. Nail nails a three, like those sort of possessions. And, and you know, it wasn't, what, sorry, it wasn't even the threes to me. It was the, it was the possessions like that that ended with us getting easy shots in the lane, whether it be layups or, mm -hmm. or dunks. That was the really impressive part to me. Um, uh, in fact, you could almost say that we probably took too many threes in this game. Uh, Duke ends up uh, attempting 33 pointers. I, I'd rather that number be in the low 20s, probably. 
Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, unless they're really, you know, fallen for you and they, and they weren't, we only hit 26%. To me, the impressive thing was those assists that led to slam dunks and, and easy layups. Yeah. And, and I mean, those demoralize the team. It gives you an extra boost of confidence when you know that you can have the, basically have the ball on the string all the way around the perimeter, inside the paint, outside the paint, and then just lay it in or have a dunk. I mean, Theo John had, you know, had a couple of plays where he was able to get the basket and you could tell the other team, like Citadel, just like, man, like even guys coming off the bench are scoring. Like that is a demoralizing thing. And that's what you want to see. So I'm glad we mentioned the assists. I'm glad we mentioned the lack of turnovers. You know, three turnovers is, is outstanding. I will take that every single game and, and then some. So, uh, I, in fact, I'll even say you can have five. You can, we can give you two more and still be a really good output from that standpoint. So we'll leave it there with the good. We're going to pause for a quick break on the other side. You know we love cake, but we have to have the veggies. We'll do that at, on the other side of the break. Okay, we are back, and we are now going to discuss. We've talked about the good. It's now talk, time to talk about the bad. And, Jason, I will start with you. I have a feeling. I know what it is. But what is your main bad takeaway from this game? Uh, well, if you listen to the broadcast, you, you heard the announcers say it. Uh, the Citadel set a record in the history of Cameron for three-pointers made. They were they they ended up hitting 18 out of 34, almost 53 percent from three, and it was tremendously impressive for a team to to be able to keep up with Duke the way they were by reigning three pointer after three pointer after three pointer. It was you know it was inexplicable. Some of them were really difficult shots that they were making, and and I I want to put this in perspective. You know Duke had held four consecutive opponents to less than 60 points. Which, which is the second longest streak of Mike Krzyzewski's career at Duke. There have been three different times that we held uh, teams to, to less than 60 points and five straight games. We had a streak of four consecutive games of less than 60 points. Citadel comes in and scores 81 against a defense that was playing that well. And by the way, in, in the first five games of the season, Duke's opponents had only hit 25% of their three-pointers. 25%. Citadel comes in, hits better than 50%. They were, you know, they, they executed beautifully on offense. They got shots that they wanted. I was shocked that they were making as many as they were, but props to them. And, and the other thing about it was Donald, there was something that you talked about last podcast about Duke getting all the loose balls and Duke guys diving on the floor and stuff like that. And I'm not saying that Duke's effort wasn't there in this game because it was, but I was in the first half, especially, I was really impressed and maybe it was just luck. A lot of it looked like it was just luck. It felt like every time there was a deflection, every time there was a, a ball that would hit the rim in a funky kind of way and, and rebound weirdly, there were a couple of times air balls um, that, you know, where there's no rebound there. It went to the Citadel. Every time, it was getting crazy. Mark Williams must have had three or four times that he deflected passes in the lane. And I'd be like, oh, that's good. And some, it would deflect right to a guy. From and it would go straight to a Citadel player who'd hit a three. Like. Who'd hit a three or hit a layup, <laughs> like uncontested, because there's no way the defense can adjust to something like that. It, it happened again and again and again. Again, like I say, I'm not sure if it's bad luck or, or bad defense. I think it's mostly bad luck. 
we'll take all the bad luck in this game. I want some good luck coming up on Friday. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the three-pointers, and I wanted to talk about that for a second. We beat Again, we beat them 107-81. We beat them by 26 points, and that's with them hitting 18 threes. If they hit half of those, like if, if that number is cut in half, if they hit nine threes, which is still a lot of threes, we would have destroyed this team. It would have been, I mean, you know, everyone would have been playing. Jason, I, they might have flown you up to Durham in the second half, and you could have gotten playing time alongside me as the point guard. So there you go, man. Like, it, it, it would have been great, but hats off to them because, again, like like you said, some of their shots was weren't great shots, but they were going in. So that means they were great shots because they were going in and they were hitting. It, it was really, it, like I said, they it felt like they were playing inspired basketball they were obviously embracing the moment of being in Cameron they you know they hung in it it wasn't like they were you know blown out of the gym from the opening tip they were hanging with Duke throughout the first half and you know even if they you know Duke get up gets up 10 points 11 points they would figure out a way to get it down to single digits and so I I really like applaud them for their effort because the Citadel really came to play Uh, they just were outmatched by a better Duke team yeah, and, and so let me get to my other bad, if you want to call it bad. Yeah, we'll call it bad. Um, uh, Trevor Keels, you know, feels to me like he's struggling a little bit um, past couple of games. He had, he had a great game, remember, the other day against Gardner-Webb, and we, we talked about, you know, he rained three-pointers. He was four of six from three. In this game, he's just one of seven from three and, and only attempted two two-point shots. Um, uh, so he, he ends up being two of nine from the field. Now he got a bunch of free throws and, and, and that's great. And, and he, you know, he's still playing really good, solid defense. Um, you know, hugely important player for the blue devils, but it feels like he's a little off on his, um, his long range shooting touch lately. And uh, look, I can think of no better time for him to fix that than a little bit later this week. But, you know, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to talk about all of the good things that happened, we do need to mention the bad. Like I said earlier, I think Duke attempted too many three pointers, especially in the first half. It felt like we were settling for threes, um, sometimes very early in the shot clock. And it wasn't, by the way, it wasn't just Trevor Keels. There were several other guys. Wendell Moore took a bad, took one or two threes that I thought were bad. And, you know, it, it happens. Um, but that was my other bad thing. I, I got nothing else in the bad category. For the most part, I thought this was a, a really good game against an opponent who made it more competitive than it probably should have been. Yeah, you, you mentioned a little bit of my other bad, and that was the three-point shooting, uh, the fact that they were eight for 30. Uh, I mean, you were talking about Trevor Keels and, and, you know, he has had a struggle of late from deep, but there's guys who had obviously a big cooling off, despite the fact that we scored 107 points. I mean, almost every, no one shot well from beyond the arc window Moore two for seven, Paulo Bancaro two for five, uh, Jeremy Roach two for six, Trevor Keels was one for seven. And then even the guys off the bench who have come on and hit threes of late AJ Griffin did not hit a three. Joey Baker did not hit a three and Jalen Blake's hit one late. He was one for two. So we, we see that again, like you said, settling for three pointers is one thing. I also think it's part of the good because I think they missed a lot of open threes that came as a result of the great team basketball that they were playing with passing the ball around. They just, there were some that just didn't hit, but I think like you said, they did eventually settled to going into the basket, getting points. And then, you know, for some of them, earning it at the free throw line and making those free throws. That's what we want to see. We want to see more of that and having more of a balance between the two point shots and the three point shots. And, and by the way, you mentioned AJ Griffin's name It is worth noting on, on the heels of his breakout performance in the very last game, you know, AJ only plays 11 minutes in this contest. He's only one of four from the field. And, and, and that 
that one was uh, was basket like with you know 30, 45 seconds remaining. It was true garbage time kind of bucket. Um, he played a good bit in the first half. In fact, remember when I was talking about when Duke was playing four around one with Paulo in the middle, AJ was part of the four who was surrounding him. Um, and those were important minutes when the game was still very, very competitive. But in the second half, when, when Duke really blew this game open, AJ wasn't a part of that at all and, and played very, very little, I thought, in the second half. So we're still looking for him to find, you know, the consistency and the kind of output that we, we know he's capable of. Yeah, and, and I think he'll be fine. And again, you know, he's going to have these days, you know, especially coming off the bench. It's really, as you know, Jason, it's really hard to always be hot when you come off the bench. It, it, you know, only a few players in the history have ever been really good all the time at coming off of the bench, you know, the microwave, Vinnie Johnson, obviously my, you know, my guy, you know, Lou Williams, the, the probably is going to go into the hall of fame as a six man, but like very few guys, it's hard to come off the bench, score 20 or 18, one game, and then try to do it again and be consistent with that every single time. So he'll learn, he'll, he'll grow from this. So, you know, it wasn't the best shooting night for him or the best offensive night for him, but I think he'll rebound. And again, like you, like you said before, no better way to rebound than to do it against the number one team in the country this Friday. Hey, I got a quick, quick note about the Citadel that just blew me away during this game. I, I had no idea about this and it's going to mean nothing to anybody but me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So um, <laughs> in the second half at one point, um, there was a, a reserve guard, like uh, he was kind of short. You may have noticed him um, number three for them. Uh, he was three for three on three pointers and he hit a three pointer and they go, Rudy Fitzgibbons. And I went, Rudy Fitzgibbons. I paused, I backed up my tape. I was watching with my son who's in town for Thanksgiving. I went, oh my God, that's root. So I coached this kid, <laughs> believe it or not. Wait, really? Yes, I'm completely serious. When he was in seventh grade, Rudy Fitzgibbons played basketball with my son at my son's high school. Um, I, was, I was an assistant coach of the basketball team that year. Um, I knew him really well. He was, this, he was incredibly short. He was like 5'2". Um, but just like a, a really great ball handler and he could really shoot from the outside. And we were like, oh, I can't wait till this guy's in high school and he's going to be a great player for us in high school. My, my, my kids went to a very, very small private school here in Atlanta. Um, and unfortunately, the next year we came back to school and Rudy had left. He, would, he was gone. He'd gone on to a bigger, better basketball program. He ended up averaging 25 points per game as a senior for this for this big private, uh, public school that, that's sort of near our area. I was like, oh man, Rudy, if, he did, if he'd stayed at, at my little tiny private school, he would have just been dominant. But I had no idea that he was playing college ball now. So he is a reserved, he's a junior reserve guard for, for Citadel. And uh, yeah, just, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe, I know that kid. And it was, it was funny because they showed a hero shot after he made his three. And I was like, that's totally him. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> sorry, it means nothing to anybody, but, like I said, but me, but it was pretty exciting for me. No, it means for me, it's the first time I learned that you were once a basketball coach. So we're going to have to dive into, into that on future shows, your, your expertise from the coaching sidelines of what, middle school basketball in Atlanta. So we, when that comes up, we will let you know, Jason, you are an expert on that. So you have to be ready. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. But congrats to uh, Rudy Fitz, Fitzgibbons. Is it Rudy, Rudy Fitzgibbons, Fitzgibbons, yeah. From Atlanta, Rudy Georgia. Fitzgibbons, former protege of Jason Evans. Uh, and, and playing well in Cameron tonight. So we're going to leave it there again. 107-81, the final score. Duke wins over the Citadel. The next big game is the big game on Friday night. That, of course, is going to be in Las Vegas against Gonzaga. I will be in the building. So if you are in Vegas, holler at me. I think I'm going to one of the Iron Duke things uh, that is going to be set up. So just come find me there. 
ask for the guy on the podcast. Someone will raise their hand. It's probably going to be me. Jason, I'm going to hold it down for you and Sam in Vegas. I know you cannot make it. I know Sam cannot make it, but uh, man, am I looking forward to it. Oh, and, and by the way, I want to, I want to shout out. We had a great email, by the way, folks, we've been getting more email than regular lately and we love it. And we Mm -hmm. respond. I want, I promise everyone you send us an email to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will, we respond to every single email we get. We got a great one this evening from a listener, Josh, who pointed out, this is a fabulous fact. He said, have you noticed that Duke plays four games this year against four different teams that all are called the Bulldogs? Gardner-Webb, the Citadel, Gonzaga, and South Carolina State. All four of them are the Bulldogs. And I noticed they were playing all four of them in a span of six games. So we just finished playing the Bulldogs today. And at the end of this week, we play the Bulldogs again on Friday in Las Vegas. Uh, So I just thought that was a cool, fun fun note. Um, And also, I want folks to know, we will be doing an extensive preview of the Gonzaga game. We're going to have everything you could possibly want to know to preview that game. But that's going to come on Wednesday because tomorrow we're all going to watch Gonzaga play UCLA. <laughs> we're going to we're going yeah to we can't scout we can't scout yeah. the team without that. Yeah. I will say, Jason, it's funny that we're mentioning that because uh, first of all, I want to point out a quick stat that I saw uh, from my friend Joe Four uh, about the Citadel. We know they went eighteen for thirty-four. That came from five guys. Okay, three guys went a combined two for sixteen, and the other five guys went sixteen for eighteen from three. So it's really including five Rudy guys, that, including Rudy, including Rudy Fitzgibbon. <laughs> so like that's really that's kind of interesting. The other point, Jason, and it's funny you bring this up about Gonzaga. Gonzaga UCLA tomorrow uh, on Tuesday night as we record. Uh, it will be one versus two in the AP poll. Now, Jason, I don't know if you saw this today, but on the women's side, we had a one versus two matchup. South Carolina versus UConn. And uh, I think there was the battle for Atlantis women's right. championship. Okay. Their, their preseason tournament, South Carolina won going away. They, they, it was a very close game until the fourth quarter. And then South Carolina steadily pulled away. They're a very, very good ball t- ball club. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because one versus two happens quite frequently in uh, women's basketball. It doesn't happen as much in the regular season in the men, but it definitely does in the women. This is the only the second time in the history of the AP poll on the women's side that they have delayed the women's poll by a day. The reason why they did that is because it was supposed to come out this afternoon during said game between South Carolina and UConn, and they wanted to wait for the result of that game before they released the poll. I thought that was fascinating that, again, I think they did it once back in 1991 or something like that, but this is the second time in the history of the AP poll that they have delayed it so that everyone could watch one versus two play. So I think it's interesting that the, they did that today and Duke Gonzaga at one versus two on the men's side will be playing on Tuesday night. Yep. Uh, I got nothing else, man. We, we got to go. We got to let the Duke band play so that we can get ready for the Gonzaga game. Yes. Yes. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 360 of the Duke basketball report podcast. We will be back again, probably Wednesday to preview the Gonzaga game that will be on Friday night. Las Vegas, T-Mobile Arena, 10.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Stay up. Make sure you take, take your caffeine and coffee, whatever you need to do. It's go time. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us here. We will get talk to you on Wednesday. But for now, for Jason, for Sam and Extension, I am down the line. Duke fan, you know what time it is. Take us home. <laughs>